In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Please be seated. Descending into the deepest places beneath the surface of the ocean, the light begins to fade at 600 feet and no light at all penetrates beneath a mile. Below that, you'd still have six more miles of descent through pure darkness before you reach the muddy bottom of the Challenger Deep, the lowest point on the Earth's surface. Not that you'd want to do so. It's an inhospitable place, not just inky dark, but with the waters exerting eight tons of pressure per square inch of your body. Imagine then the surprise of the first humans to make the descent in the Bathyscaphe Trieste to find life even there. One of the two, the Swiss oceanographer Jacques Picard writes, as we were settling in the final fathom, I saw a wonderful thing. Lying on the bottom just beneath us was some type of flatfish resembling a sole. Even as I saw him, his two round eyes on top of his head spied us, a monster of steel invading his silent realm. Eyes? Why should he have eyes? The floodlight that bathed him was the first real light ever to enter this hadal realm? That's a good question Picard raises about the eyes, but surely Picard is right that it was indeed a wonderful thing to see the flatfish, the beautiful red shrimp, and the other living critters he saw in the hadopelagic zone deep beneath the waters. Well, our readings tonight took us many such inhospitable places not just the ocean's depths, but the belly of a giant fish, a desiccated valley strewn with bones, an altar of dry wood meant to consume a sacrifice, and a tomb into which his grieving friends had just recently left the quite dead Christ. Yet in each of these places we have read tonight, God is there too. And hence in each there is life, there is hope. What is hope? It's not merely wishing that something should be so. Like wishing, it's certainly an attitude of desiring that something should be so, but while one might wish for any manner of things to be so without having the slightest reason for supposing that they ever will be, hope, I take it, is grounded in reasonable expectations about how things will be. St. Paul says in our reading tonight, we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be destroyed so we might no longer be enslaved to sin. We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. And so you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God. For St. Paul, our hopes that we are no longer slaves and dead to sin, but rather free 
and alive to God are grounded not just in reasonable expectations, but even in knowledge. Yet, it's knowledge of a peculiar sort, for it's knowledge of what we do not see, don't have proof of, and in fact, if anything, seemingly have evidence against. Hope is grounded, in short, in faith. It's a desire for what we know, in fact, to be promised to us, but nevertheless seems, even to us much of the time, difficult, arduous, even impossible. To illustrate this point, return with me to the depths of the sea. The most recent visitor to the Challenger Deep in 2019, Victor Vescovo, reports observing there not beautiful, wonderful, living creatures, but rather garbage. He found candy wrappers and a plastic bag. From the world's highest height, where trash left by our intrepid mountaineers is becoming a serious problem on Mount Everest, to the deepest deep, there is no place where our pollution hasn't reached and so too with our persons. From our outward words and deeds to the innermost recesses of our hearts, we are corrupt through and through, slaves to sin, dead in sin, utterly inhospitable to any spark of virtue or righteousness. Or so it very often seems to me when I regard honestly our behavior toward creation and toward one another so I very often seem to myself. You can ask yourself how these matters seem to you. Given these ominous appearances, what proof have we that things can ever be different? We have none. No sign will be given you but the sign of Jonah, Christ says. Standing in the bare valley, God asks, Mortal, can these bones live? Only you know, O God, Ezekiel answers. And in a way, that's true. We can't see what God sees. We can only trust him when he tells us what can and indeed will be. But I suggest tonight that the sign of Jonah is a very powerful sign indeed, powerful enough to allow us to say with St. Paul that we know we're not slaves dead to sin, but rather alive to God in Jesus Christ. How is it that God sustains life and hope at the bottom of places like the Challenger Deep? The astounding answer is through death. Marine biologists believe that a, if not the major food source for deep sea dwellers is whale falls. Whales, like Jonah's whale, dying and sinking slowly into the world's deepest places bring with them the hope of life. And so too it was with Christ who, according to the Apostles' Creed, descended into ta katotata. We usually say he descended to the dead, 
and I'm sure that's right, but literally the Greek term just means the lowest or deepest places there are. And descending to these depths, Christ brings hope of life to us as well, who were baptized into his death and buried with him by baptism into death, so that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we might also walk in newness of life. A way of looking at this. In baptism, Christ descends into the deepest places within us, bringing hope of new life and freedom from all the corrupt garbage lurking therein. Maybe I'm playing fast and loose with Paul's words in Romans and with Christ's meaning about the sign of Jonah, but I'm just not going to worry about that too much in present company because one of the best things I love best about our tradition, especially around this time in the church year, is that we are absolutely profligate with signs. That's certainly true of our worship tonight, which begins in darkness symbolic of the tomb, into which light enters flickering as it's passed from one member of Christ's body to another, allowing us to tell each other stories symbolic of Christ's redemptive work before we finally burst forth together in song and celebration of new life. None of these signs are proof. Our hope continues to rest on faith, but they're powerful nonetheless through their beauty and the way they're passed down and throughout a community of trust. A comical reminder to me of the power of these signs to grab our notice was during the Lenten season when we used the clacker instead of our usual bells. What's that noise? I heard a young voice demanding to know from the back corner of the sanctuary. I have my suspicions, but I won't name names. At any rate, such questions are welcome invitations to pass on the message that Christ suffered and died for us. Just as tonight's rowdy tintinabulation is an invitation to share the blessed news that Christ has risen. And that's what we, together with the two Marys who first witnessed the resurrected Christ, are called to tonight. Jesus says to them, don't be afraid. Go and tell my brothers and sisters to go to Galilee. There they will see me. To those still dwelling in darkness and despair, whether in our own community or anywhere, we too are called forth to pass along this message. We have seen signs of life. We have seen signs of hope. We have seen signs that we too will someday stand freed from sin in the presence of our risen Lord. Amen. <laughs>